I'm Alan Cornett, and this is a Derby edition of the Eat Kentucky Podcast. Welcome back to the Eat Kentucky Podcast, where we celebrate Kentucky, its food, and its culture. This is your host, Alan Coyne. It's Kentucky Derby Week, so it must be September. As crazy as that sounds, that's the reality we have in 2020, a Kentucky Derby on Labor Day weekend with no spectators. But that's not what we expected at the beginning of the year. We all thought there would be a Kentucky Derby in May like there was supposed to be. With that in mind, I scheduled an interview with Churchill Downs executive chef David Danielson early in the year, knowing as May approached, he would be far too busy. This was an interview you were supposed to hear in April. I met Chef Danielson at the Old Stone Inn and Tavern, a 200-year-old structure in Simpsonville in Shelby County that he began running in 2018. With no consciousness of COVID-19 or the pandemic world that was ahead of us, Chef Danielson and I discussed the Old Stone Inn, his background of training in France and working at the Ritz, and how he eventually came to Churchill Downs. We also discussed his upcoming work at the Tokyo Olympics. This interview is a look back into an alternate universe 2020, the way 2020 was supposed to be. Of course, there was no Derby in May. There were no Tokyo Olympic Games. And sadly, the Old Stone Inn and Tavern has now closed. In 2020, it's impossible to escape everything we've lost. Please take a moment to subscribe to the Eat Kentucky podcast and to leave a five-star rating. And you can help support Eat Kentucky by visiting patreon.com slash eatkentucky. Now join me in the time machine as I talk with Churchill Downs executive chef, David Daniels. Chef David Danielson, welcome to Eat Kentucky. Well, welcome to the Old Stone Inn. Oh, it's a beautiful place. I appreciate you having me out. Yeah, well, it's very good to have you here. Yeah, how, and how, how old is the Old Stone Inn? You know, how, how old is it? <laughs> actually, it's very old, 200 years. The building uh, itself was built in uh, 2000, or, uh, 1816. Okay. And so it's 200 years old. And it started off as a um, stagecoach stop in the early 1800s. Operated as a stagecoach stop, boarding house, several things. And then it opened as a restaurant, the Old Stone Inn, in 1921. Okay. So it's been a restaurant now for almost 100 years. Yeah, so next year, I guess, will be 100 years as a restaurant. Yeah, we're going to have to do something special. Yeah, that'll be, that'll be good. So I'm, I'm catching you on the front end of that. Yeah. I uh, actually, uh, back in... November interviewed Dixon Dedman, who's at the Beaumont Inn. Oh, yeah, Dixon's a good friend. Yeah, and uh, I talked to him about the 100th anniversary yeah. of Beaumont. So we have some, uh, some big celebrations for important eateries. Well, it's amazing. You know, you look at some of the history of some of these old buildings and, and restaurants and taverns and some of the hotels, and there's a few of these kind of jewels left that are that are dotted around the state and it's great to see 
people kind of taking care of them and, uh, and you know, keeping these things alive. I can tell you that it's a joy to, every night people come in here with memories and they used to come here when they were kids or celebrated wedding rehearsals or all different types of things and to listen to the history and some of the stories and celebrations that people have had here over the years is, is truly amazing. Well, it, it really is, uh, a, I think, a, a big benefit to the state that these old traditional places are kept alive. And it's, uh, it's a big benefit to this area that you've got uh, the old stone in going. Yeah, well, and my other jobs is we're going on 145 years this year. That's so right, there, yeah. So. Well, we're going to talk to you a little <laughs> bit about that, too. So what, you've got a... You've got a derby coming up, I guess. It's right around the corner, you know. <laughs> yeah. It seems like uh, we finish one up and uh, we start getting ready for the next one. It's a, it's a long process. So how, uh, how do you get ready for a, a derby menu? What's that, what's that process like? Do you, do you change it up completely every, every year? Or are there a few holdover classics that you use? You know, we really change it up every year. Uh, we have a format that we, you know, kind of stick with. Sure. Even though, even to that, we make some minor changes. Um, but pretty much we, we take last year out and we look at uh, dishes that were successful, things like, uh, that we'd get a lot of feedback from guests and, um, you know, we're, we're, we're always trying to change, enhance the guest experience. We have so many people who are coming back and Derby is a tradition. And so we want to continue to create a new experience for those guests. And uh, we want to try and improve every year for guests who may be coming out for their first Derby. So, you know, it's as soon as the Derby's over, we sit down and we kind of have a post-derby meeting and recap and talk about what we hear. And, and for the next couple of months through the spring meet, I really spent a lot of time talking to guests and getting feedback and what they liked. And, you know, I, I don't really, we don't get a lot of, oh, I didn't really like a lot of things, but there are certain things that, you know, we get a lot of positive feedback. Right. Favorites that people yeah, have. Yeah, absolutely. And things that people may not have seen before. So then we take those ideas and we start building on them and uh, we start coming up with menu ideas usually throughout the summer. And then early fall, we start kind of forming them together. And uh, by the beginning of fall, we've got kind of an outline of the menus. And we start doing menu tastings um, in October and November. And uh, then we get them locked down and start ordering food and figuring out quantities and numbers and you know it's 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 a lot of people oh sure a lot of detail and because of the sheer volume of what we're doing and because fresh produce local produce we're working with a lot of vendors um, there's really a, a lead time we found that the farther out we can let somebody know what we're trying to do or work with them Obviously, the better, um, you know, the better results sure. we get when we get towards uh, the first weekend in May. That's right. Yeah, I, I can imagine <laughs> so. Uh, 
So are, are, you, uh, are you at liberty to share any of the, any of the menu items that we're going we're gonna to see this year? Well, we're still tweaking them a little bit. Um, you know, right now we're kind of, uh, we've got a pretty solid idea. We're right now we're in the, um, in the sourcing, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> in sourcing mode. So for the last three or four weeks, we've actually been meeting with a lot of vendors. We've been meeting, going out to a lot of farms and making sure that we can actually hit the numbers. Mm -hmm. And so I need to make sure that we've got <laughs> everything that we're going to get before I can tell you, okay. but, uh, it'll be pretty soon. It'll be coming out. Yeah. Um, do you then try to source locally as much as you can? Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, we've gone to great lengths, uh, about three years ago, we helped, uh, start an aquaponics farm out here because we couldn't get local lettuce. And so, you know, we really feel that it's very important for us to, um, one, promote uh, the local farms, the local craftspeople who are, whether they're making cheese or sorghum or jams or jellies or, you know, lamb or whatever they're doing. We really want to promote that. We've got such an amazing agriculture, um, products here in, in Kentucky Absolutely. and you know these are our neighbors so we want to keep the money here we want to support the local economy it's very very hard for small farmers small artisans to make money mm -hmm. and we really have the ability to make a big impact on them not only from um, a financial standpoint but to help them get name recognition and bring additional business and notoriety to their products. So that has really been a huge mission for us mm -hmm. to, uh, to promote that and support that. How, uh, what, what number of derby is this for you? How many this will be my 10th. Your 10th one, so that's a big anniversary it's for big you one. for that? <laughs> yeah. So when you came to Churchill, did you imagine that you, were, that you would be doing 10 and, and, maybe, and more into the future? No, uh, you know, I mean, I came down the Derby was uh, always a bucket list for me. Um, I'd done lots and lots of, of large events uh, all over the country and, and globally. Um, but, you know, I thought we'd be down here three or four years, and, uh, and then we really fell in love with it. And it's such a special event. Uh, we, we also fell in love with Louisville. And uh, just the community, the people, what was going on out here. And um, I would have never guessed in my wildest dreams that I would be owning a restaurant in Simpsonville, Kentucky, <laughs> as well as running the Derby. Uh, but 10 years later, here we are, yeah. and uh, we have no plans on going anywhere well, anytime soon. Well, that's good. I mean, once Kentucky gets its, uh, its hands on you, it's just not going to let you go. Yeah. So. Well, what, what brought you down? What was your connection to the Derby? How did you get tied into it to begin with? Uh, well, uh, the company that runs the food service, Levy Restaurants, is based out of Chicago. I'm originally from Chicago. And um, one of the corporate chefs and I had known each other for many, many years, obviously. Uh, so I had, some, I had some connections there. Um, I had just, 2010, we had just finished the Vancouver Olympics. And um, 
you know, the economy was kind of slowing down. I was looking for some different challenges. And uh, somebody called me and said, hey, you know, there's a great opportunity down here. Would you be interested in coming down and looking at the Derby? And uh, I got on a plane. I came down and um, I had my first hot brown. I walked around <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, the rest is history. Yeah. How do you like a hot brown? Are you a hot brown fan? Yeah, you know, it's a, <laughs> it's a great dish for a cold day that you don't want to do much. But, uh, you know, it, it's comfort food, right? It's sure. a great thing. Oh, and it's, yeah. it's those traditional things. Uh, there's, there's nothing wrong with, you know, turkey and bacon and uh, Mornay sauce. It's all good stuff. That's so, right. Yeah. Uh, it's... Um, it's, uh, you know, those are, and, and that's the great thing, right? It's finding those traditions, it's finding those things, and, um, you know, that's, that's what makes a lot of it fun. Yeah. So you, uh, you were there at the Derby at Churchill Downs, and then, then you opened, or I guess reopened, the, the, Old the, the Old Stone Inn out here. So how long have you been the Old Stone Inn? We've been here about uh, 14, 15 months. I actually opened Breeders' Cup Week of uh 2000 i guess 18 it would be so uh yeah we um i've been here about 14 months 15 months now so it's you know and the thing is i love churchill i love putting on the derby uh it's a big big place and um you know it, it's like any business i don't uh I'm kind of global there, so I'm not tied to any one area. I oversee all the food service operations. And I really was at a point where I kind of missed being in a kitchen, the creativity of being able to change the menus every day, being able to deal personally with people. And I wanted some place that was kind of an incubator kitchen for me, someplace I could get back, someplace I could, you know, get a knife in my hand every day. And I don't really get a chance to do a lot of that at Churchill Downs when we're doing menu development or certain things. There's a chance, but otherwise, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm running all over the place. You're, so. you're managing, you're not. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. You know, so this was really an opportunity for me to do that. And it's been amazing because not only has it been inspiring for me here to get back in a kitchen and do that, but it's also uh, reinvigorated me back at Churchill, my staff over there. There's a lot of play between the both of us. My chef here at the restaurant was my turf club chef for five years at Churchill. So we all know each other. We all do a lot of things together as a team, both here and there. Um, we talk a lot about menus together. We're all friends. You know, he knows everybody there and vice versa. So uh, we've created a lot of dishes here that have wound up on the menu and that will wind up on the menu for a derby. Yeah, so, so if somebody wants a little preview. Come on over. Come on over. This I guarantee is the... you there's a couple things here you'll see in every day. <laughs> yeah, so you get, the, you get the sneak peek. So what's been your biggest challenge here at the Old Stone Inn? Well, I think, you know, anytime you take someplace that's historic and you change it, uh, this place had a very long, long history of cooking certain types of dishes and certain types of things and things they were known for. Eggplant casserole, 
you know, there were certain dishes that were, there were staples here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I really wanted to come in and do my food. Sure. We've got a great building, we've got a great place, and we want to celebrate the history of the Old Stone Inn. We want to celebrate that this place is a cornerstone of the community. But while we did that, I also, from a culinary standpoint, uh, needed to tell my story. And, um, and so that was uh, a little bit of a challenge. You know, certain people wanted to, hey, where's this dish or where's that dish? And, but, you know, now I walk, I talk to every table every night and people will say, hey, this is, you know, the best it's ever been. This is, you know, the people have really embraced it. The community has embraced it. But like anything, you know, it's just, we're a small business and we're building and building and uh, we fight that fight every day. Sure. Oh, yeah, no, no doubt. So you, you talked about embracing local ingredients and I obviously you do that here at the inn Absolutely. as much as with Churchill what coming from outside of Kentucky yeah well, sort of a fresh perspective on the state what what is Kentucky food to you what what does Kentucky food mean to you well I think it's uh, most importantly um, it's the heritage of whether it's family farms or products that have been raised here or dishes that have been handed down or have come out of Appalachia or come out of the areas or come off the farms. You know, I have a lamb farm or uh, Freedom Run Farms that we work very closely with. Uh, Valerie, she is trying to bring back Kentucky lamb. At one point, Kentucky was one of the leading lamb producers in the United States and the breed of lamb that comes from here are very, very special. So things like that, we've embraced that story. We've found that product. We're trying to bring it back and promote it. Um, you know, watching some of these farmers that have switched off soybean and tobacco and are going into different type of things, we support that. But there's also dishes. We have an Appalachian apple stack cake on oh, our menu. Yeah. I grew up eating apple. 200-year-old recipe, yeah, right? I grew, grew up eating that. And so we've got that kind of dish on our menu. We've looked at historic dishes and dishes that have long time standing and you don't see Appalachian stack cake on a restaurant menu. No, no, and, you know, So you we don't. take ours, we serve it with a rosemary brown butter ice cream, very, very unique. The cake is true to what it is, but we've taken and put our twist on it. So trying to find those dishes that have a history here, that have a heritage here that are recognizable and how do we move those forward? How do we keep telling that story? Um, that's been really, really fun and really amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's, it sounds like you've, you've enjoyed, I guess, sort of poking around the history of it. Absolutely. And things up. And you know, it's, it's a lot bigger than a mint juleps and hot browns, right? Mm -hmm. And burgoo. You know, there is such a rich history here and there is, uh, families, generations that have been foraging and, 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 and preparing dishes in certain ways and so to listen to how things were being done in certain parts or families did stuff and we find those recipes and find those ingredients and um, you know work with them and, and sorghums and different things that have, have come out of here for a long time and how do we incorporate those into dishes and so um, that's, that's been amazing.
One of the great ways to eat Kentucky is to live in Kentucky. I can help you with that. I'm a realtor in the Lexington, Kentucky area with Keller Williams Bluegrass Realty. If you're looking to buy or sell a home, please contact me at alancornett at kw.com or eatkentucky at gmail.com. Now let's talk more about Kentucky, its food, and its culture. Let's talk a little bit about your background. You mentioned you were from Chicago. Yes. But it seems like you've, you've been everywhere and done everything. <laughs> so, I mean, it's... I uh... used to tell people I may have been born yesterday, but I stayed up all night. <laughs> you, uh, you were trained in, in France? Yes. Uh, yeah. My background is uh, classically French trained. Uh, I went to a very small... Uh, French cooking school. I started here called Dumas Père. Um, I did a 2,000 hour apprenticeship. Um, then I worked, I did a six month internship at the Ritz Carlton in Chicago and then they sent me to France for a year. I spent a year working in the south of France, uh, the northern Rhone Valley and uh, came back to work at the Ritz-Carlton. I, I would imagine there are worse places to be. It was, <laughs> it was spectacular, you know? And, uh, and, and, and that's the thing for me, it's, you know, I worked in a buildings that remind me as I sit in this room right now, 200-year-old building, you go to Europe, you go to France, where buildings are Hundreds and hundreds right, of years. Right, yeah, 200-year-old building there is That's new it, construction. Right, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, the feel is there, right? The character is there. Mm -hmm. So as I look at the walls here, I look at the construction, um, it very much reminds me of that. And so when I came back, I, I got back in working for the Ritz. I started working for Charlie Trotter and Fine Dining Restaurant Chicago. I kind of made the rounds through a bunch of French restaurants in Chicago and um, made my way to New York, spent some time working in some fine dining restaurants in New York, and then ended up um, working in the Caribbean for three years for a French resort company. You, you pick good places to go to. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, <laughs> hey, if you've got to be on your feet all day, you might as well make sure you're near a window with a good view, well, right? That's right, so, yeah, I think you've done a good job with that, sounds like. Um, and then I wound up back in New York again, and uh, back in hotels, I loved hotels. I wound up, when I moved back to New York, uh, working at the United, I, first I was back at Rockefeller Center, where I was part of the chef team there that we ran all the restaurants at Rock Center. And uh, then I left there and went to the United Nations. I was the chef of the hotel, the UN Plaza in the United Nations. And during that time, I really started doing a lot of catering. Uh, I was in charge of all the catering at Rockefeller Center, and uh, we also ran U.S. Open tennis out in Queens. Uh, I started doing PGA championships, Ryder Cups, large golf, and so I started really getting um, my feet wet in large, large-scale events, and um, then I ended up, um, my wife got pregnant, it was Bye Bye New York. So we, we ended up moving back to Chicago to be closer to our families. I wound up uh, as ex executive chef at the Palmer House Hilton, a 1,700-room Hilton Hotel uh, in the heart of Chicago. I was also doing some consulting and some catering there. And then uh, that's what led me 
uh, a very close friend of mine had a catering company who'd been catering the Olympics since uh, 2000 in Sydney, but he was doing all the food service for NBC and the media. And in Beijing, he was the only Western caterer really allowed in. And so uh, a lot of large corporations, uh, Omega, Johnson Johnson, some of these other companies called and said, would you do our catering? And he called me and said, hey, would you like to come to Beijing and do this? And I was, said, sure. So I wound <laughs> up in China and uh, started overseeing all the catering for Omega, the owners of Omega Watch and all their VIP clients. And it kind of stuck, and now I've done four Olympics. Well, I was going to say, and, you, and you've got an Olympics coming up, right? Yeah, Japan next summer. So when you're done with the Derby, yes. you're not done. <laughs> I'm never done. <laughs> well, that's right. But you've got, <coughs> but you've got the, uh, the Tokyo, Japan Olympics. Yeah, Tokyo Games. So what role do you play there? Who are you? Who are you uh, so what there? happens is uh, Omega which is the official timekeeper, Omega Watches. They uh, usually build uh, some type of hospitality facility for um, their global guests who come in to watch the games, as well as their ambassadors, their athletes, people like Michael Phelps, um, some of the other athletes who, sp who are sponsorship. Um, and a lot of entertaining um, dignitaries and different people. And so I oversee all that operations for them for the duration of the games, about two and a half weeks. Yeah, well, that's, that's a tremendous undertaking, I would imagine. It As, is. Especially in a foreign environment, just because... That's it, what makes it difficult. Yeah, because you... Rio, Russia, China, yeah. you know, it's, it's uh, all... Um, and every place is very unique, and every place has different rules, and every place um, possesses a very unique set of challenges. So do you bring in your ingredients? You have source them locally? Every game is different, but most countries really want you to buy locally. Sure, I can see why they would. They, they, don't they want, want to feature exactly. their country. Uh, so... It, a lot of it comes down to what they'll let you bring in, what we can get there. It all comes down to sanitation and safety. Um, there's a lot of negotiating, a lot of back and forth. We usually start working on a game about two years out um, in Beijing. And so what we usually start off with doing is going to the best hotels, start finding out where they're sourcing, mm -hmm. start getting with chefs there, and, and then working backwards. The other thing is uh, airlines. You know, international airlines, they usually have pastry departments. Somebody's providing that kind of stuff. So we find those people mm -hmm. who are there and in, in those communities who have resources to get those ingredients. And, and uh, then we start sourcing out from there and we figure out. Because it's also very expensive to bring cargo container and cargo container and cargo sure. container. And inevitably, uh, no matter how happy the country is to have you there they start holding up your containers in the ports mm. and then when you need something and they tell you it's a thousand miles away sitting in a port waiting for someone to sign a piece of paper it's uh, a problem yeah i can see where it might be a little <laughs> frustrating <laughs> so you've got so at this point you're relatively planned out for for tokyo yeah but yeah. 
Everything changes when you get on the ground. <laughs> well, right, right, yeah. You know, it's, um, look, things don't run as efficiently as they do in this country, you know? And uh, it's shocking that, you know, one day I'm expecting this kind of fish and chicken and duck and pork and they show up with beef and this and that. And I say, what is this? And they say, Oh, the other stuff will be here tomorrow, maybe. <laughs> and so we very quickly start changing menus, right. and there's a lot of thinking on your feet. Yeah, working with what you've got. <laughs> this is what showed up, so this is what we're serving. There's a lot of that. Yeah. Well, that's uh, good, so it's, it's, good to be you know, experienced. It's like, uh, it's like chopped or iron chef every single day for <laughs> right, yeah. a thousand people. Yeah, well, uh, I can see where that would be a little stressful. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> Yeah, I would think so. so how, how big of a staff do you have in a situation like that? Um, you know, in Rio, which was the last games I did, I had two sous chefs, uh, th two front of the house managers, and then we hired locally about uh, 10 back of the house and about 20 front of the house for Omega. Our total food service operations, we bring about 80 people with us and we hire between 500 and 700 and every game is a little bit different sure depending on the scope of what we're doing yeah that's uh and most of them stuff. don't speak to, what english yeah so there's always really really fun communications and a lot of hand gestures and drawing <laughs> pictures and um we all learn together yeah i would yeah i would imagine so so what <laughs> What got you started on all this? When did you decide culinary arts is what you wanted to pursue in life? You know, I don't know that I ever, uh, I, I was always kind of, I always was interested in it. I loved watching, you know, my mom, my grandma cook. I loved going to cooking stores and seeing gadgets and stuff. When I was a kid, I used to watch Julia Child on TV, and I never, but it never like dawned on me that this is what I wanted to do. Um, and then when I was in high school, I had a job washing dishes in a French pastry shop, and I watched these people make these pastries, and I tasted things that I'd never tasted before, and it was very uh, mesmerizing to me. And I still, at that point, didn't think that that's what I wanted to do. And, um, and uh, you know, I uh, was trying to figure out exactly what I wanted to do, and I was actually waiting tables um, at a French restaurant and uh, at a hotel, and I said, you know, I want to, uh, I think I want to cook. And um, I made that switch and, uh, you know, never looked back. And, and, and here you are. Here we are. <laughs> When you were growing up, what, what was kind of typical food that you would eat? You eat at home mostly? and Yeah, you know, we, my mom was a good cook, and my grandmother was a good cook. My background is, is my family heritage is Scandinavian. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think we ate fresh food. You know, my mom cooked uh, almost every night. Uh, but holidays, we, you know, we ate smorgasbord and Swedish food and you know we didn't have traditional stuff so um, you know we my dad would make Swedish pancakes with lingonberries and you know so 
uh, there was a little bit of, of that heritage in cooking, and so there was always a part of that in our in our history. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, I can remember for us around Christmas and the holidays was always a big time because you couldn't just go to the grocery store and get this stuff. So there's a Scandinavian neighborhood and stores and it was called Andersonville in Chicago and we'd have to go to all the Swedish marketplaces and pick up all these things and you know, it was a, it was a couple week process of driving around from this place to that place to get everything we needed. Early um, experience in sourcing exactly. ingredients. <laughs> you know, and so you look back on those things and, uh, and so that was fun, you know, yeah. and uh, I think a lot of times you don't realize at that time what a uh, impact that's making on you as, as I look back now and I think about that, uh, you know, that, that played a crucial role. Sure, absolutely. You've got, you're, you're planning for a special event and right. you're the source ingredients. That's right, yeah, it's a big deal. So you mentioned, you, you know, alluded to, to uh, I guess Chef TV earlier, you've you've made some appearances as well. You've been a I have you've been a, um, a celebrity judge. I was on Top Chef last year. Uh, great experience, not only for me but great experience for Louisville and Kentucky. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of exposure. Really great for them to come down here. I thought that the whole series was uh, really showcased us well. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, obviously we also had uh, a local contestant there, Sarah Bradley, so, uh, but it showcased just a lot of the great food scene down here in, in, in Bluegrass in Kentucky, and uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, Graham Elliott, who's one of the permanent judges on the show, him and I have been friends for 20 years in okay. Chicago. We used to cook together, so it was great to see him down here. And we spent a lot of time while we were filming, just hanging out and talking, and uh, so yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. You know, I've I've always been a. Uh, it's one of the one of the shows that I've always enjoyed, and um, I filmed Top Chef uh, in my kitchen in Chicago about the year before I came here. I rented my my catering kitchen in Chicago. Uh, to them to film Restaurant Wars, but then it was never on it. So I watched the production. I knew a lot of the people from the production. And they came down, and we were at church, and it was a very busy time. So, you know, I was jumping in and out and, and doing the filming and then jumping back in the kitchens <laughs> and doing stuff. But at night when we went back to the Top Chef kitchen, um, and I was actually sitting on the panel and the contestants walked out, you know, it was one of those, oh my gosh, I'm actually sitting here <laughs> as a judge on Top Chef. You know, it was kind of a surreal moment, but uh, very, very fun and very honored to be able to do that. Have you seen a positive boost in interest in Kentucky from outsiders sure. because of Top Chef? Uh, and I hear it. and. Uh, and you know, it's amazing, this summer I was down in Atlanta doing Atlanta Food and Wine and people were even walking up to me there. And you know, it's, I, I, I think, you know, everybody here, you know, talks about the Derby and knows the Derby and says, ah, oh, we love the Derby. I don't think people realize, maybe they do, maybe they don't, but just the power of the Derby, right? Last weekend I was in St. Louis um, I was cooking uh, for the NHL All-Star Game. So they asked me to come over there and I was up running um, a 
private suite for all the NHL owners. I had three different owner presidents, heads of NHL hockey teams, ask me how they can get to the Derby. You know, I'm thinking, wow. you own a hockey team. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and and they're uh, asking you. <laughs> and, you know, they all want to come to the Derby. Yeah. Here we are, right, at the NHL All-Star Game, and they're sitting here talking to me about the Kentucky Derby, and man, we've, it's our bucket list. We've got to get to the Derby. And uh, it really is amazing, you know, what a, a, and anybody who's been understands what a special thing it is. Sure. And uh, which is probably why I'm still here. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a bucket list. It's, it's people from everywhere know the Kentucky Derby, want to come to it. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really something special. And so they're, they're, it's very recognizable. And so when we did something like Top Chef, we played off the strengths of some of the great things that we have, but we also really broadened the horizon and showed people a lot of the variety and a lot of the other great things that we have to offer. And, you know, I keep hearing from people, wow, that was amazing. And I didn't realize there was this, you know, it's not just horses and bourbon. Yes, we have those, but there's amazing food scene. There's amazing other things. We've got great cultural things, great symphony orchestra, great museums, great, you know, there, there's a lot of great stuff happening here. Absolutely. So, um, it's, it's very interesting, and I see a lot of people coming through here, and I get called very, very regularly from people from my past and who I haven't seen in many, many years who are making a trip through Louisville or coming through here and want to stop and visit, and uh, so it's great to see that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think uh, Kentucky's profile has certainly oh, absolutely. been increased and is on the rise, I think, and... Uh, and in, in no small part to work of, of people like you. Hey y'all, this is Sarah Bradley. Check out the latest episode of Eat Kentucky. This will be your 10th Derby. I know you've got to have a lot of great Derby stories. <laughs> I suspect some of them you probably can't tell. Probably right. <laughs> but, but can you share one with us that you can? You know, um, yeah, great. <laughs> I, I, I'll tell you what, here's a couple of funny things. You know, my greatest, um, my greatest joy of the Derby, and I'll be very honest, is uh, one of the things I hold near and dear to, to what we do is we bring in a lot of staff. We search and bring in a lot of extra people to put this on. So we recruit from a lot of culinary schools. Uh, I, one of my sous chefs right now is up in New York recruiting. I talked to him this morning. I'm getting ready to head out on a recruiting trip uh, to Pennsylvania next week. And so we bring all these young students in who are in the beginning of their careers and we expose them to this amazing event. And I watched them almost die during the week. <laughs> oh my God, what am I doing? Uh, no, but I watched them survive and get stronger and build confidence. And, uh, and at 
about a half an hour before the derby, everybody's pretty much done eating and everyone's facing the track and getting ready to sing my old Kentucky home and national anthem and watch what's going on. And so I take all the students and we all go up to the roof and we all watch the derby together. And about three years ago, and this has happened every year since, um, I took them and we walked through a dining room to get to the stairway to go up to the roof. And there's a dining room of 800 people. And all these people got up and gave all these students a standing ovation. Oh, wow. And it really, like, you know, is very emotional. Oh, I'm, I'm sure it would be. Yeah, and that's something they're going to remember the rest and, of their lives. And me watching that, you know, and you realize, because someone did that for me, right? And I'm where I'm at because I surrounded myself and I went and worked for amazing people and people who gave back to people like me when I was young and taught me craft and skill and how to care for food and how to do what I do. And so it's very important that we put that back and that we do that. And so to bring those students here, but then to watch that and watch the appreciation and watch, you know, something like that is amazing. Uh, so that's something that is, is one of the things that just keeps me coming back. But then, you know, funny things that have happened are a couple of years ago, I was headed out to the infield to go look at the suites out there and I was driving by and I saw these guys with a crate and they had just put white gloves on and were lifting something out of the crate. And I thought, what in the world are these guys doing? And all of a sudden I realized they were pulling the Stanley Cup out of a crate. Oh. <laughs> and a hockey player had brought the Stanley Cup with him. And I jammed on the brakes of the golf cart. I was on and I jumped off and I said, hey, I'm going to need a picture of that. And they said, sure. And these guys took a picture of me standing there with the Stanley Cup. And uh, you never know you're going to see it. Well, yeah, <laughs> I guess you would. You would have expected that to show and up. So, you know, but it's, it's amazing just talking to, to all the people. And yes, we see the celebrities and yes, but, you know, and, and everybody's a VIP at the Derby. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, everyone asks me a lot, do we cook special food for these people? We don't. You know, we cook for everybody. And the menu is the menu. And uh, we... Um, Everybody who's there is just as important as the next guy, and we treat everybody that way, and, and you know, we want to make everybody have a magical derby. So I'm going to ask you about a possible item that's going to be on your menu. Sure. I was here a few weeks ago uh, with the, the good folks from Shelby County Tourism. Yep. And had uh, a, a pie that you served. It'll is be it, there. Yeah. <laughs> now... Is it Clyde Van Dusen? Is that that's is, it? That's the name of it. So, so tell me about Clyde Van Dusen. So Clyde Van Dusen apple pie. So Clyde Van Dusen is the name of the horse that won the Kentucky Derby in 1929. So 1929, the stock market crashed, beginning of the Great Depression, and so there was also a drought around then. So even if you could find apples, you couldn't um, probably couldn't afford them. And so we have a pie that we do here at the Old Stone Inn, and we named it the Clyde Van Dusen Apple Pie. And it's actually a mock apple pie. And it's, uh, it's a recipe that came from the Depression, and it's made with Ritz crackers. And so and, and anyone who tastes it can't believe it. Uh, I, I will attest to that. Because it tastes like an apple pie. It really does. And if you didn't tell anybody what it was, 
uh, they'd think it was apple pie. So we created it here. I found the recipe. We made it here. We created the name for it. And uh, it went on a derby tasting that I did a few months ago mm -hmm. for the president of the track and some of the top executives. And they went crazy, especially over the name. They all knew the name immediately. And then when I told them all there was no apples in it, they're like, this is on the menu. <laughs> so the Clyde Van Dusen apple pie will be making an appearance oh, at this right. year's Kentucky Derby. Very good. Well, well worth it, too. Yeah. So and it's a fun there. thing. And that's we like to tell those stories, right? We like to do that kind of stuff. And that's what makes it fun and makes it interesting. Yeah. I mean, every, everything tastes better if it's got a good story behind yeah, it. Of course. So, well, I appreciate you giving me some of your time today. Well, I really enjoyed it. Out. And uh, encourage folks, if they aren't able to make it to the Derby, they can, they can come out here please, to Simpsonville. Please, come on out. <laughs> and uh, maybe uh, if, you, if you're not jet-setting some no, foreign place, know, they can catch I, you. I'm pretty, much here. <laughs> I'm pretty much here every night. I, uh, I go to Churchill every morning. I come here every night. Uh, occasionally, I'm doing a little bit of travel, but... Um, you know, I try not to, and when I do do the travel, I try and do it around a day when we're closed here. I try and do most of my travel Sunday, Monday, Monday, Tuesday. Um, but 90% of the time um, or more, I'm here every night. So. Yeah, it's and well, I love coming out and talking to everybody. Yeah, it's well worth coming, not only for the atmosphere, but for the excellent food as well. Yeah. So I appreciate you talking to me. Well, thanks for coming out. We had a good time having you here. You can find links to Chef Danielson's social media in show notes. Please hit the subscribe button to the eKentucky podcast to be notified of future episodes, and please leave a five-star rating. It really helps others find the podcast. Also, please tell a friend who might enjoy the podcast. You can follow my other explorations of Kentucky food on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I would love for you to visit the new eKentucky Patreon at patreon.com slash eKentucky where you can support the podcast and receive bonuses and previews. The eKentucky theme is by Art Mize. If you have any questions or comments, you can email me at eKentucky at gmail.com. If you're looking to buy or sell a home in the Lexington area, I'm a realtor with Keller Williams Bluegrass Realty. I would love to talk to you. Until next time, this is Alan Cornett.